Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey everyone, on this week's episode, I'm joined by Peter Menino, the current head coach of the Des Moines Buccaneers. Peter has won a pile of championships, probably none bigger than in 2005 with the Denver Pioneers. He played seven years pro and won his first NHL start with the New York Islanders. Of all the goalie partners I've had, Peter ranks right near the top in terms of who was the most fun. We may have only been teammates for just over a month, but we had a blast and it was great catching up with such a good friend. Enjoy! Peter, my old friend, it's great to see your face, to get to talk to you. We've got to fill people in on what you've been doing since you retired from your career as a professional goaltender in 2015 with the Binghamton Senators. Rumor has it you're now molding the minds of the youth as the head coach of the Des Moines Buccaneers. What's new in your world? How'd you end up in Des Moines and how's it going there so far? Well, it's great to uh, catch up with you and any chance you get to uh, catch up with the rattlesnake, it's special. So uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> Appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's yeah, it's been a little bit of a, a road, you know. You we were talking before a little bit about the retirement process and you know what do you want to get into. And uh, I had a lot of influential people along the way. Uh, we talk goalies here on this quite a bit. So uh, Derek Lalonde, Seth Appert, Jeff Blaschel, guys like that uh, that I know. Um, Derek Lalonde, especially, who's the assistant coach of Tampa Bay Lightning, he's going to love these shoutouts. Um, but he he had told me from my first. Uh, pro year because he was my college coach for two years. He goes, you're gonna you're gonna coach someday, you know. And I just kind of said, all right. And you know, in the summers I would do USA camps while I was training and stuff like that, signing with the Islanders and Thrashers and stuff. And I just got into it. So when I retired, um, Coach Dan Muse, he's the assistant coach with the Nashville Predators now. Uh, I got a call through another goalie, Adam Burkle, who is now the Vaughn rep. Y- yes. Uh, uh, Tremendous Vaughn rep does a great job, uh, great person too. Uh, but he he said, you know, the Chicago Steel are looking for a coach. And then, you know, long story short, got in touch. I did two years in the USHL with Chicago, the Chicago Steel there and two years in college. And sure enough, uh, things kind of shook up there this past summer and Des Moines came and it's a great opportunity to take on the head coaching role, go from there. Did you see yourself going into head coaching, though? Because so many times guys like us just get labeled as being, oh, he's going to be a goalie coach, and that's kind of the sky's the limit, right? And your career path has been different from going to the Steel to Miami, Ohio, and now grabbing a head job. Is that what you thought would happen? Well, that's funny you say that because right out of the gates, um, when Berkey talked to Dan and I had some conversations with Dan Muse, um, my mind was set on uh, getting away from this, you know, specific goalie coaching. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, you, you kind of have this thing in your mind. And I saw like Appert and Lalonde were close. Uh, Jeff Blaschel was working up the ranks, and I'm like, well, these guys, these guys had that part of them through their initial coaching career. 
And then they had goals to go after, you know, head jobs like that. And just seeing that and being around that. And then when I had the opportunity with the Steelers to coach and do more, you know, have more responsibility and just work with the guys in general, it, I really took to that. I was really excited about that. And right when I accepted the job with the steel, I was living in Chicago with my wife. And sure enough, there was a big fork in the road because uh, an NHL team called and they were hiring a goalie development position. And I went through the interview process and was uh, offered the position. And I was like, whoa, like a month after retirement, you know, and we talk like getting into coaching, it's, it's a decision, right? You know, it's yeah. different hours. I mean, you're grinding and it's exciting. But I was, and you also don't know how often those jobs are going to come up, too. Right, yeah. exactly. And and the one that did come up was in the area I was living. It, it, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, like I was really fortunate. Uh, we see the the organizations are some of the best, and um, I, I really stared it down. And uh, with Dan Muse, just the way he was offering me an opportunity with the Steel, and then the USHL level junior hockey special, um, I was like, hey, let me restart in juniors for coaching and then I'll work my way up. And yeah, my, at that point I said to myself, I was like, I want to be a head coach today, you know, versus uh, a goalie coach that can obviously change year by year. But I was like, at that moment, I was like, this is the road I'm going to go down. And, and here I am today with the opportunity. Isn't it surprising that so few goalies have become head coaches recently? You know, you don't see very many in the NHL that have our experience like that. You know, Patrick, Wah, I can think of before that, not many guys, right? You know, it's just, we get pigeonholed as just being able to do one thing, which to me is ironic because we see everything in front of us. We have such a good grasp on what it takes to play a defensive system of hockey to win games. Yeah. And I, I wonder if down the road, we're going to see more goalies back into coaching. And if you're just leading the charge for us all right now. I, I, I don't know if I'm maybe just one of the, the few, but uh, you we're know, those names that's on you. <laughs> Well, those names I threw at you, I mean, these guys have been doing it. Uh, Jeff Blashville is a head coach in the NHL. I mean, he fair state. He played goalie. He actually was a goalie for the Des Moines Buccaneers. Uh, Derek Lalonde was a head coach in the American League. Mm -hmm. Seth Appert's the head coach of the U.S. national team. There are guys out there. It's just, like you said, far and few. Um, and we do. We see the layers from the back out. And uh, I've always looked at it that way and tried to spin things and giving guys different viewpoints when it comes to goal scoring or defending and say, hey, here's what here's what they see. Here's what you should see, you know, and kind of give different angles. And I know you've done that with some NHL stuff and um, hopefully it's beneficial. We'll see. So do you report directly to Scott Clemenson? <laughs> uh, Clemmer's awesome. So we have a ownership group and Clemmer is one of the owners. But yeah, I mean, if if anything comes up, uh, so Clemmer, he learned to skate at Bucks Arena. So he's from Des Moines. You know, he, he, he learned to skate at, at the arena. It's a really old, cool, uh, really old school, really cool arena. And uh, so he was back visiting family and he came down and saw all the work we were doing. So, yeah, he, he's one of the direct owners for sure. But you have a, you have a group of them. And uh, uh, he's awesome. It's great to have a goalie on, the, on that side of things. Well, he was really a pioneer in Des Moines. There haven't been that many players to come out of there. You know, and that's a direct relation of the Buccaneers. And you're yeah. seeing it. Like when you recruit kids, is there any limit to where you'll go to find somebody to play junior no. hockey? Yeah, not at all. You go across the world. I mean, we have one kid that's at the Holinka tournament for uh, – um, for USA, representing USA, and he's from Urbandale. He skated, he's like Clemmer. He skated like five, you know, he lived five minutes down the road from our arena 
here he is rep representing the United United States, and he's going to go to UMass Amherst in the years to come. But it's 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 hard, right? You can't get everybody out of Des Moines. You got to go all over the world, from Russia to wherever. You got to get players. Yeah, you got some St. Louis kids probably down the road that are easy to get to. But you'll see it now that it's become such a national and it's not regional game anymore. You get kids no. from California, Texas, Florida, Arizona. I mean, how do you find some of these kids? Are they just on the radar, or do you have to really go scout them out to get a hold of them? Well, definitely, you know, uh, through networking, through agents, you got to give. I always give the shout out to agents and uh, coaches and different levels. You know, the higher you are, when we're in college, you know, you rely on junior level coaches, you rely on midget coaches, you rely on advisors, and I say that honestly, like with a lot of thanks to them because. You got to have a trusting relationship for them to want to offer players and, and, and give you those tips. And then obviously you got to pound the pavement. You got to get out there. You got to go to the showcases. I mean, I was at skill sessions in summer times. I was in practices. Um, you hear things, but you got to get your eyes on. You know, you got to rely on your your analysis and your evaluation, or you're going to get in trouble. Obviously, you trust in a lot of people, and um, that kind of helps. But but. Uh, um, the big thing too is, is there's a lot of showcases, right? So they bring teams from Florida, uh, the select festivals in the summertime bring kids from all over the United States into, um, uh, Buffalo, New York. So that, that helps for sure. But you got to go out and if you want to build these relationships to recruit them, you got to put in the time. Well, let's talk about your junior career a little bit because you came out of Michigan as a young man, ended up in Pittsburgh in the North American League, went on to the USHL. What was the North American League like when you were there? Because it was just a year or two after I was. I've yeah. got some memories of it that I want to see if they were similar to what your experience was like. So yeah. give us a recap of the North American back then. For, for sure. No, I was, I was in the last two years of what you remember, that old null, you know, where right. we had – we had Texas, we had Compuer, we had this uh, Springfield, Illinois, and Missouri. Uh, and it's before uh, the USHL basically declared themselves Tier 1, right? And then North American right. became Tier 2. So they used to be like on a level playing field back then. It, absolutely. Ryan Miller is getting drafted in the first rounds. You know, uh, a lot right. of draft picks. Um, I was the last year that happened. The last year it happened, I um, like you just said, USHL declared Tier 1 status. Uh, Compu were folded, the Chicago Freeze folded, the Capitol, uh, the Lansing team folded, um, uh, Danville left and went to the USHL, Texas did a couple more years and it folded. I mean, it changed the landscape of the North American League. And um, I was in that last year, and that's when I decided I had a commitment to go to Denver. I had one more year of junior hockey. Um, our Pittsburgh team ended up getting uh, bought and moved to Toledo, I believe it was Toledo or Youngstown. And the USHL came and I was like, you know, it's time to take a step here. And the the NA combined with the uh, AWHL. Yeah, the right? West League. Yep. That's right. Yep, which special places, right? Bismarck and Bozeman and all that stuff. So um, they combined and it kind of spread out quite a bit. And then the USHL took uh, Danville and it went in a different direction. But man, was it a war. North America oh, made man. it awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, Compier. I mean, I, I went to the... My first year in the NA, I was kind of a backup, so we lost in the national championship, and then the next year, I was I was you know able to start and we won, and we played the Sioux Indians in the finals, you know, and it was that was kind of it. That was the end. Is uh, Pittsburgh and the Sioux Indians were in the national championship game, and then the whole landscape changed. And you never stopped winning. You win that league. You won the uh, USHL too, right? That's a shout. That's a shout out to Jason Kohler. Uh, he was our GM in Pittsburgh. He 
he sought me out in, in midget hockey. I was going through a little bit of a rough patch there trying to find that next step. And uh, he, he found me, he brought me into Pittsburgh, and uh, I got my, my scholarship there. All the coaches, you know, the whole staff. Yeah. But your GM gets eyes on you and he wants it. It, it changes your life. So. Isn't it amazing how you've, and really all of us, you play with somebody in juniors or college, and then you circle back years later and end up playing with them? Because I know you did that with, uh, with Dylan Reese in Pittsburgh. And yep. then even uh, with Dingle, I guess, in Denver, yep. you know, yep. and in junior too, right? You know, I mean, yep. it's amazing how hockey works like that. What do you remember of Dylan Reese in juniors? Oh, man, that kid, he's a beauty. Uh, so good story about just to start off with Dylan Reese. Um, so he got drafted in the NHL by the New York Rangers, and he's a hometown kid. From Pittsburgh. So playing from for Pittsburgh. the Forge. Right, right. play for play for the Forge. So the Forge were, were – uh, they they were um, founded, you know, when he was right in the area. So just like we said, the North American League was really, really at a high level. And I think Lincoln, he, he'd have to confirm it. They were all over in the USHL. So he had to make a decision. And Pittsburgh kept him. Obviously, he stayed. And the boys would ride him hard. He, he's going to love this, too, because he, he was considered uh, the blue chip. We called him blue chip. That was his nickname, blue chip. And he, uh, <laughs> he got so rattled all the time about it. Uh, one, one great story is he, he, he hurt his shoulder in one of the games. And uh, uh, after the bus got in late night, they had to unpack to go somewhere else. And the coach, the head coach, I think it was Chris Imes at the time, went down underneath. And he goes, I got your bag, Reeser. And he grabbed his bag and walked it in. And the boys saw this and they were like, blue chip, he catered to the room. <laughs> and you know Reeser, he was so rattled. Um but but one last one. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on. But he he uh, he had a red Volvo. Uh, Volvo. It was really old, and his license plate <laughs> like the crash proof ones, right? That yeah, were rolling right. tanks. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yep, the real crashers. And the license plate was Deicer. Okay, <laughs> and I'm like I'm like what is? And that was his nickname, Deicer. And the story is, one day he was in he was in the on a car or they were riding with a bunch of the midget guys going to a trip and there was a de-icer uh, spray bottle in the back of the car and somehow or whatever they sprayed him in the face and he couldn't see for like a half hour like a long period of time and they were ripping on him calling him de-icer so he went and took the nickname and put it on his license plate that's dylan reese in a nutshell <laughs> You had a guy on that team named Sean Burkstresser too. I got to know Berkey through John Zeiler, who I played with at St. Lawrence. Have you ever played with a more muscular, bigger hockey player than that guy? So Berkey, we call we called Jaws. He had that big jaw, and we would always be like Jaws. You know, he he get rattled pretty easily, right? He kind of had uh, that like perm too, like he had yes. like super curly hair. <laughs> well, between. Berkey and Reeser, I've never seen two guys look in the mirror more than those two guys. I mean, they were so worried about their hair and their oh, bodies. Tan. It was very tan. Like tan. I mean, it was it was like this Pittsburgh heartthrob situation. You know, they all wanted to look good and stuff. And, and I, I really hope they listen because those two were ridiculous. But um, Jaws, a perfect story for Jaws is he had this, uh, was it the S10 pickup? Was that the small version of Chevy the Chevy S10, yeah. Yes. He had a Chevy S10 and he had it like custom colored, like this blue. And he loved to do, do stuff to his pickup. He lowered it. The windows were as tinted as you could get. He put all these spoilers on it. We would be like, yeah, Berkey, you know, and he, he'd get all jazzed up for it, right? And he worked out 
he worked at the gym upstairs at the rink that we worked at, Neville Island Sports, which is Robert Morris University's hockey uh, uh, arena. And he would work out up there. One day after practice, he was working, and the cops came. And they and we were gone for the day. It was after practice. They arrested him. They take him down. And he goes, you know, everybody's like, we well, heard Bricky get arrested. Next morning at like 7 a.m., we're on the bus waiting to go on a road trip. We have no idea where he is. And we're waiting for Berkey. And sure enough, we wait an hour. They, they get a hold. They know he's coming. He spent a night in jail because he had unpaid parking tickets. No way. <laughs> yes. They, he would take them and he would throw them in his glove box. And he'd be like, whatever, I don't need to pay for these. And they caught him. They went and found him at his place of work, put him in the clinker. And he jumped on our bus from jail and we went on a road trip. I picked a guy up out of, I've picked guys up out of rest stops, but never out of jail before. Oh, right, right. But he pulled in. He was he was coming in hot with his S10 that just put him in jail. And he jumped on the bus. He goes, I don't want to talk about it. And went right to the back of the bus and shut it down. Incredible. Well, let's go on to your time at Denver. Because, I mean, you guys were so good when you were there. You had incredible lineups. What was it like walking into that good and storied of a university knowing that, one, you had a great chance of winning a lot of games, but two, that you were probably going to get to play a lot of those. Well, that's the, that's the thing you would you would understand a lot is growing up where we did, like I grew up with CCHA. You know, I was thinking Michigan, Michigan State, I had all that in mind. I really didn't even know. About yeah, as a St. Louis, and it was kind of the same way. You know, you thought of Michigan, Michigan State. That's like, that was my goal. The only teams I really even yeah. knew, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> to- totally. I was the same way. I was like, and I got recruited by like, CCHA schools at the time, Bowling Green, Lake State, and Michigan had their U.S. national team, uh, you know, feeder system, right? Montoya's right. and all that, and Gerald Coleman, and and then Michigan State that had uh, Laird, Bakari, you know, all those guys in that age group. So it was kind of like in a weird development time frame. And then all of a sudden, I had teams from kind of all over um, different areas, and I'm like, what is this WCHA? And it sounds ridiculous today, but you really don't know any better. And uh, Denver came. I was. Uh, I was in the North American League. They came, and sure enough, um, you know, uh, a teammate of mine, Mike Hansa, he's a Pittsburgh kid as well, he committed the week before. And then I went out on a visit, and I just loved it. I fell in love with it. Now, here's the thing is I didn't know anything about and people will believe this or not, I didn't know anything about the success. Like, I knew they were a good program. I started doing some homework. I'm like, this team's really good. You know, like, they got, these goalies are really good that play here. Burkle, right. Dubowitz. I'm going, wow, what's going on here? And they're also and then, big ticket contracts at the yeah. end of their four years. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it was kind of just starting at the time, right? Because uh, um, Appert and those guys were recruiting, and Doobie was a senior. Burkle was going to be a junior going on senior year. And I remember looking into it, and I'm like, wow, they were number one in the nation the year before, and they lost to Michigan? I'm like, wow, unbelievable. So long story short, I – you know, I fell in love with the staff, fell in love with the area, just the, the whole staff, too, from the um, Heather Weems, who's the athletic director at San Cloud State. She was my academic advisor. You know, just people like that touched on you along the way. And it was like, I trust these people. George Gwazdecki is an incredible person. Steve Miller, Seth Abbott recruited me. I was like, I want to be with these guys. I trust them with my career. And I went out west. I called my parents. I was like, this is where I want to be. And they were like, what? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 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 So um, well, I had the same experience with St. Lawrence where it just felt right when I walked on campus. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And then from there, I mean, you give it all to the staff. And then they hired Derek Lalonde and Seth took the head job at RPA. And they just, they rolled with recruiting. And George was an incredible coach. Uh, uh, the program that they founded there, like you said, that's 
that's staff. You know, they got to they got to do the work, and then us players, we got to go there and, and do our work, and then hopefully things gel. So, I mean, you pretty much split time for your first couple of years with yeah. Glenn Fisher. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, and so you know, you, you come in though in two thousand five, pretty magical year to start things off. Yeah, I mean, it well, couldn't that, have gone much better, I guess, at the end, right? Yeah, no, you're you're right. That's that was kind of said going in there. Is uh, Fish would have been a freshman the year I played in the USHL after the North American League, so I committed knowing I would defer for a year, and Fish would back up essentially Adam Burkle, who was a senior and just came off a great year. Berkey ended up playing, I think, ninety plus percent of the games, and Fish was the Edmonton Oilers uh, draft pick. And they said that they go, you want to play at a high level, you want to compete with Glenn Fisher, you will play. And you could see Burkle and Doobie did it, right? I mean, they both mm-hmm. signed tickets. They both won games. They won championships. I, I love to compete. Um, I met Glenn and I met all those guys. I was like, I'm in. I'm in for this competition. It's healthy. And as we know, it gets even crazier the higher you oh, go. Oh, yeah. The so pyramid they, just it, goes like this. Yeah, it's cutthroat. Yeah. And I mean, you and I are playing together and we're just sitting there knowing, I know how talented you are. It's just like the respect level in pro. But it started in college for me was to know how hard it is. And how delicate a start is essentially as you climb up the ladder and you try and preach that today. It's it's just a little different at times, you know. What so, was it like winning a championship? Uh, it was amazing. I mean, it, it's a lot of cliches, but you, you got a group. You got a special group. You got some really, really good players. But we had, we had depth. Um, we had great leadership from the seniors. Uh, we had a really talented freshman group that kind of helped develop as the year went on because we had great leaders and seniors um a lot of character a lot of fun characters in that older group at latch full g fosty all those guys that ended up having really good careers too uh, they won too right they went back to back and right. here we were just we were bullseye deer and headlights freshmen going oh my gosh really everybody wanted to see what we were going to do and um yeah to go go to columbus and we played the same teams we did in the final five of the uh the weekend before uh, in the in the uh, conference playoffs, so that was kind of unique, right? We played CC in North Dakota, and then we played them again in the Frozen Four. It was kind of cool because you were familiar with them, you know. But it was also hard because you played them all the time, and to have my family there and all that—it's just a special moment without without question. I was talking to Paul Stastny about you, and you were roommates with him briefly there, and he mentioned a couple things that really made him smile and think about you. And the first of it is that 217, the significance of 217. And every time he sees those numbers, he thinks of you. So why does that happen? <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, yeah. Uh, Paulie and I had some fun. Uh, he, we moved in together, a uh, nice little two-bedroom apartment behind the rink, no AC, garden unit. It was, it was a lot of fun. We had good times. And... Uh, I you know what? It was honestly, uh, it was a, uh, it's my birthday numbers. They're good luck numbers. So I put them on the back of my helmet. You know, little things you do like that from a goalie standpoint, just luck and little things. And I always had it on like my bucket growing up and all the way through pro. I always had it there. So whenever we would see it or whatever, I'd be funny, like 217, good luck, you know, or whatever on the, on the clock. And Stazer started to see it in games. He'd be like, hey, 217. Like we're talking in the middle of a, third period at 217 in an NCAA game and he'd come down and he'd be like 217 I'd be like let's do it you know we yeah. would have a little so we got light. Fun. yeah yeah good light humor but it was uh it was fun stuff and he's uh he's a funny guy that's for sure he said you guys did eat a lot of Taco Bell together though <laughs> we uh Paul and I accomplished a it was a feat we uh had a $25 order between two of us 
and we took it down. So $25 worth of Taco Bell, Paul and I, we, we struggled through it. I helped him with an extra taco at the end, but we got it down. And it was disgusting. We ate way too much Taco Bell in college, but we could get away with it. You know. He also had a good memory of you, though, with spending about eight hours one day making homemade gnocchi for everybody, the good Italian <laughs> boy that you are. And then yeah. they smashed it in like four minutes. <laughs> it was just him and I. We, we did spend eight hours. We we did the dough. You know, I was I had these instructions written out from my mom and my, my nana back home. And Paul was all in. We were doing, we were sweating. I mean, it was a garden, no AC in college. And uh, we made these gnocchis and we, it was like eight hours and it took like six minutes. We just crushed them all. It was done. You know what I mean? But <laughs> we, we had a lot of fun. He likes to cook. We do you know, uh, lamb chops, all that stuff at school. And, uh, we had a really good time. So Chris Butler was talking to me about you too. And he said that you had really low mileage on your car, that you had something special going on there to help keep the resale value high on it. <laughs> Butsy. Congrats to Butsy too, by the what way. What a that's, career, huh? That's unbelievable. I mean, just, uh, we talk about these hometown kids and, yeah. uh, you know, especially from that area to, for him to raise that was awesome. Well, I knew he was going to be an NHL player too, you know, yeah. from the day that he I think got to junior hockey. Yeah. I mean, just an incredible player, but it's interesting how his career peaked and then he found a role with the blues these last several years. And yeah. I mean, it's not, not unlike you and I, where you're grinding for so long and ultimately you, you get to the top level, but you just can't sustain it or whatever it is. Yeah. But he's been able to make an amazing career in hockey and he has such a great reputation. I'm sure he's going to be good with whatever he chooses to do next. For sure. But see, I always remember when he came to college when he came on the ice, it was business. Like he didn't mess around uh, any battle drills or net front stuff. Like as a goalie, I love Butsy because he he would clear that net front. Like he he had such a stride. He could skate so he was long. strong too. Oh, he used, he had that sneaky like dad strength too. You know, and yeah. if you were if anybody was around the crease, I mean, he put a nice nice little you know, pot, he'd lean into him and you were just like, I'm okay. Everything's all right here, but he's taking care of business, you know, and if you're on the flip side in practice, you would just get into it with him. But, uh, it's awesome. Great guy. I was wondering where you got that story from. Uh, but it's good to know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, we had a, gotta be careful. A little switch there and then I kept the mileage <laughs> off, you know, and resale was higher so we could flip cars. Yeah. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. It was, it was a little tricky situation, but, uh, thanks Butsy for exposing my father like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like the red dragon in old school, not exactly street legal, took the governor <laughs> off of it. Exactly. <laughs> so after playing a pile of games, winning yet another championship in college, it came time to turn pro. So was everybody knocking the door down to get you to sign with them? Cause you ended up with the Islanders. So what was the process like signing your first NHL contract? Yeah. Um, yeah, you split time. So there's like, I split time till my junior year. So it was a little interesting. Um, you know, after my junior year, there's a little talk, uh, about, it was actually the Islanders. I had talked to them a little bit, nothing extremely relevant. Um, and even after I remember Anaheim, Paul Stasny and I, my freshman year after we won, we were playing Narch, uh, roller hockey. Derby. In Florida. Yeah. So to get this, we, 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 uh, we win and we had a sponsor, like it was all NCAA legal, I think, and all that. We, we had, we had to Florida and, uh, Staz, uh, one day we're driving back in these vans from the uh, rink to the hotel. We were like a little bit away, 50, 20 minutes and we're on the bus and we're playing this game. Staz was like, there's about seven of us in this van. And he goes, Hey guys, I just got drafted. And we're like, what? 
And he's like, I just got drafted the Avalanche. And he literally was in Florida in a van playing roller hockey, and he got drafted in the second round. And he goes, yeah, I my, just got a call. And we're like, what? And we were all up pumped, and it was like nothing. Nothing even happened. And he he got didn't even go to the draft? That's no, amazing because no, he was no. rated really high too. Oh, yeah, yeah, because he, he was a late – I think it was a late birthday, so he went freshman year and then got drafted out of college instead of juniors. And, I mean, he was a heck of a junior player. I mean, two years, and killed it in Omaha. He could easily have went there. But winning it and then that kind of even took a step up for him, you know. So he literally was just in the van in Florida playing roller hockey, and he had just hurt his wrist the, day, the game before. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like they're going to kill us back at Denver, you know. And yeah. here he is drafted. We were sitting in the hotel room together. But – you know, I remember there's a team. Remember David McKee? Yes. He's from yeah. Texas. He played at Cornell. Yeah. He was the heir apparent to David Lenavu, and then he signed with Anaheim for the cap. That's it. I think yeah. he played five games in the A, maybe, total. Yep. Now, that's a guy that I played in the North American League. He was with Texas. And we went we went head-to-head all the way to the championship. And then in college that year, uh, Anaheim had called me, and it was between kind of making a decision. And he, he went to Anaheim. And then I had four years because just nothing really came. You know, I didn't really have anything in front of me. And I, I needed the time, right? Like, even if it was there, this was the best thing for me. And um, and then when it came to my senior year, you know how it is. You go through some teams, but, like, one one sticks out, one's aggressive. And they they had a lot of, um, they had a lot of uh, you know, conviction and understanding of where their situation was. And I just got excited for it. It fit for, for the timing. And, uh, and I got opportunity with the Islanders. Opportunity, yeah. You played in the A the first year out of school, and you ended up making your NHL debut. And in the coast, though, you did all three leagues. I did. I did that. That <laughs> was an incredible. Where did you Where did you start the year? Was it in Utah? No, 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 no. The the Utah. So I signed. It was Jan Denis and I uh, slated for the American League. That's why I was like, I got to sign here because I'm going to get that opportunity. Right. And they had a lot. They had Dubowitz. You know, they knew college, and they they. Um, they, they kind of had the right path for me. They, they said I was going to start in American League and everything. So I was, I was thrilled, right? Very fortunate. Um, yeah, there's not so many of those jobs available every year. You might get yeah. two or three college free agents that end up in the American League. Right, right. And, and I remember, it's funny because then I signed with Atlanta the next year. They had a contract issue. So I always, always wonder if it would have been different. But anyway, I go to the American League and you remember Ricky DiPietro, unfortunate injuries. That's another reason it was like, this is an ideal place to go to. And um, sure enough, I think I played six, seven games and I, I had a great start. Probably like almost too good for me because I, I was still like figuring out the American League out of college, you know. And uh, Sudzi, Sadarshan Mirage was our goalie coach. He's outstanding. He was helping me figure out the pro life and how to train and play at that level. Anyway, six, seven games and boom, Jan, cause there was an injury. Jan was up. I get switched right away. And I'm in the NHL after six, seven games in the American league. And I remember just being like, Oh my gosh, like what is happening? You know? So it was really quick. Uh, I had my place freezing on the water there in Bridgeport. Everything was settled in. And so then, you know, I was up. My first stint is when I got blasted by Boston. Uh, I got thrown in the third period. <laughs> You'll appreciate this one. And this, this is your debut. Boston. Your first this game. debut, Joey McDonald was starting. He's a relic too, I heard. He's he is incredible. He's yeah. an incredible person. Oh my goodness. Anyway, he started uh it was one of those uh, weird time Boston games, like earlier in, in like the mid morning or whatever, they do those early ones. So we had like a weird pregame. Anyway, 
third period, they're the first team, first place team in the league. They had everyone, Savard, you know, Wheeler, Kessel, they had them all. And we were like dead last. And there was 13, 14 minutes left in the period. And sure enough, uh, Joey led in like four or five, whatever it was. And you could just tell, you know, as a backup, you're going, oh boy. And you're just you're thinking like, no way this can be my f- first time in the net. Like it's like 12 minutes left. It's best team in the NHL. And I even played. I barely practiced, Kenny. I was like barely, you know what I mean? And, yeah, but you know sure that enough, all the eyes are on you. Like the guy with the camera, <laughs> the, the the TV producers got the, yeah. for sure, pan straight to you on the bench thinking, yeah. this guy's going in. And, and I'm looking hard left and looking at the ice going, Gor- like, Gordo, don't call me. And I hear something. I kind of take a little look down to the right. He's yelling because you can't hear a thing. Boston was going nuts. The yeah. place is packed. And he's pointing to go, and I'm like, "Well, here you go." This and I jumped in there, and that, that was the start of it. So, uh, but really, to to sum it up, like I did that, that went that went poorly. I went, I got sent down right after the game, um, and then I battled. And there was a point where there were so many injuries for like four plus weeks. I didn't even practice or play a game, and then it led right into the All Star break. And you know, not the Islanders are the Islanders. It, it, it's it is what it is, but. You just you had to because there's so many injuries with Ricky and they're trying to figure it out and all that stuff. And I was going up and down, up and down, up and down. I missed practice. I'd back up a game. I'd go down, back up a game, like four weeks. And then All-Star break came and I had four, I had four days off with no equipment. And I'm in Tampa, Florida with my cousins and they call and they're like, hey, uh, we got to get you back to Atlanta for backing up a game against the Thrashers. And I'm like, my gear is in Bridgeport. So they went to Bridgeport, got the gear, flew it out, and I met them. They flew me from Tampa off an of all-star break in the American League to an NHL game. And I hadn't practiced for four-plus weeks. Oh. So so that's where that's where that happened is they were like, well, you haven't played like um, – there was a goalie. You would remember him. He was a Euro uh, with Dallas. I can't remember his name. Tobias Steffen? That's him. Yeah. And they need a terrible it, mage mask. Yes. Yes. And they, they worked a deal where he would come in for two weeks to Bridgeport and play games at an assignment. And they would assign me to Utah to get games played as well. And I did. I played, I think, nine or eight games in two weeks. I played a ton of games. And I'm telling you, that was the best thing that ever happened to me was to play games again, settle down, get confident, and then go back up. And that's when I got my starts later on. So who was that your was first, kind of yeah, who was your first start against the NHL? Chicago Blackhawks uh, in Chicago. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> How'd it go? It was good. We we ended up winning. I uh, saw a lot of rubber. Uh, you know, you had Kane having breakaways. Uh, they had Havlet at the time. And uh, that was the crew. I think they won the cup the year after that. Bufflin. uh it was cool. I got to play against uh, Nikola Havibulin in my first first NHL game. Uh, it was special. I mean, my parents were there. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, was there. I mean, you know that. You know that rank. It's it's crazy, it's, man. It, it's crazy. Yeah, it was a dream. It was a dream come true. We we won. I I, I got pelted, and so it's just one of those things I could sit back and say like, hey, that that was the goal. Obviously, you want to play a lot of games, but you know that was the goal to play, and then to get a win like that was. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it was, it was unbelievable. Can so. you, can you remember what your first feeling was coming off the ice? Well, you, do you remember in uh, United Center, <laughs> when you walk from the chute, it's tricky. You got to step up. Yes, uh, you do. And you're already yes. walking uphill to get out onto right. the ice. That's right. 
for warmies, I clipped it. I clipped it, but I held on. So, <laughs> so all I remember was like, I just got to miss, get over that step and jump on the ice. And then from there, honestly, it's like a blur because you just, there was a lot of action. I just remember like trying to take a deep breath, stay in it, you know, and you kind of, as you know, as an athlete, the crowd kind of goes away and you zone in on the game and you listen to the music and all that stuff. So that was like kind of the way it went. And then you don't realize it till after and you get in the locker room and you're like, did that just happen? You know, it's just another game, but you're, you're just fighting, you're fighting to get the win. And, um, that was kind of the routine. Uh, Scott Gordon was our head coach and he came to me. This is what happened before the game. I was in the shoot. I'm looking up in the stands. This is before warmups and everything. I'm by myself going like, Oh, this is going to happen. And I look over and there's Gordo. And he goes, word for word, I'll remember it like it was yesterday. He's like, don't play the puck. <laughs> Stay in your net. <laughs> yeah. This is before my first NHL start. He goes, don't play the puck. If the puck's rimmed around and you stop it, you get right back in that. Leave the puck. Don't play it. Don't play the puck. And I look at him. Oh, oh, the first thing he said to me was, he goes, how many assists do you have? And I go, three. And I had three on the season, which was a really good, you know, a really good start. And he goes, oh, um, and he didn't know what to say because it was just – it was random. But, I mean, I, I was decent at playing the puck. Nothing great. And he was like – and then he went into that tangent. Leave the puck. Leave the puck. Leave the puck. So after the first period, there was a – we had a power play and there was a dump coming down to the dot. And Mark Streit's coming to get it. I stop it. I corral it. Just push it a little bit to the side of the net so we can, you know, kind of get speed and go. After the first period, I'm like, okay, we're doing all right. We're, we're, we're even. He comes right up to me and he goes, don't touch the puck. Leave the puck. <laughs> And I'm like, everybody's laughing in the room. I'm like, well, Strider asked for it. I was going to give Strider the puck. He's our power play QB. And he's just like, leave the puck. And he leaves the room. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So he was funny. I, I liked Gordo. But what an interesting uh, situation there, you know. I'm trying so, to think of what gear you were wearing back then. Because I always remembered you in Bryant's. And but Bryant. you also wore a little bit of TPS at some point. What was what did you prefer for gear? Because you were pretty old school in kind of how you like to strap things and wear it. But were you always Brian's in a TPS or Sherwood combo? Yeah, um, the the TPS Bionic pads and gloves were pads I loved in in juniors in the North American League. And then I switched to Brian's pads, which were really old school Brian's pads, the uh, A Max, you know, straight three rolls, you know, it was legit, right? Stuffed right. and hand stuffed and everything. Um, so I wore those. And then when I went into school, uh, the DX2 came out for Brian's. And so I switched to the DX2, which was still a really soft. It wasn't, a, you know, like the sturdy bowers that you have. It wasn't a real stiff pad. It broke down real nice, like Brian's pads, but it was a, a flat front, right? right? So I wore those through, um, I switched my senior year because I had Amex pads all the way through uh, my junior year. So when I went pro, I wore uh, my first year with the Islanders, I wore DX2s. And then at the end of the year, they came out with a new pad. And it was a lighter version three roll and with a sub zero, something like that. And and that's I had like a demo set. And I was wearing those at the end of the year. And that's what I wore for my starts was that set. The TPS glove was my favorite. I love TPS gloves. Um, the glove and the blocker just seemed really thick and it had a great look to it and everything. So I tried to duplicate that for years with Brian's and they did a fairly good job. Like some years you see me wearing it and other years it's like, I got to go back. And then as you know, TPS got bought by Sherwood. Sherwood took their patents with their gloves and I loved that feel that they had. It wasn't like the baseball flap. It was the grab. Like uh, you almost had like a ball on your hand and I needed that 
grip and the, the brake was kind of right at your knuckles. You know what I mean? So I played with it. it I struggled to, to find it because Brian's worked with me. They were great. Uh, Chris Joswiak and Rio, they're, they're uh, designer. They're incredible people. It's just, you know how it is. You just got to find it's comfortable. So yeah. I was a little all over the place, Kenny. <laughs> did you always have an appreciation for the old school though? Because you did have yeah. some killer retro sets of gear. Yeah, always did. I mean, because you, cause you know those pads I wore, the Brian's, those, the uh, the Thief design. I had the eyes in Pittsburgh once. I had those. And uh, do you know Shane Clifford, the goalie coach in Pittsburgh area? Mm-hmm. He was a he was with the Pittsburgh Penguins quickly. He's with Everett, does a bunch of junior hockey. He had those old school Bryans. And um, when I wore those, there's something about it. I always wanted to go back. I always loved the soft feel. So when I when I wore all the Bryans pads you saw me wear, if you asked their rep and their their manufacturer there, they were they would get frustrated because I still packed the sides of my pad. I hated the one piece foam. I needed it to break down. I find it to be real tense on my knees and it would really, really hurt my body. I didn't like any of those soft kind of the bowers and stuff like that that everybody uses today. I could never use that stuff because it would just, I would hit the ice and it would be loud. It would be real tense on my knees. And I just, I needed softer, especially for rebound control too. I needed to kind of hit and absorb a little more rather than the deflection kind of feel. And uh, that I just love the old school. I love that. And then obviously the designs came from there and that's where I just stuck with it. Who's the character that you've had on your equipment? Oh, that, that's Denver. That's a Denver Boone. Denver had that character, uh, Disney created it for Denver way back. When I showed up at Denver, intergender mascots were there because of Title IX. And uh, I found out about this Boone and they had bumper stickers all over campus. And it was like, save Boone, save Boone. And they wanted to get rid of this. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this is kind of cool. He's kind of like this cult following, right? Kind of a Ferris Bueller type character. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm like this little goofy character. And he made more sense to me because he was this pioneer. He, was, he looked like a little fun character. But um, they had to get rid of it because of the intergender stuff. And I just was like, I'm running with it. So I put them on all my helmets all the way from my sophomore year all the way to my last year of pro hockey. And I would switch them. And you wore Warwick masks, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Warwick masks and uh, just, you know, uh, great painters, Dave Art to, uh, to, to all of them. I mean, all of them. I mean, we shared the same painter. I think, didn't you have, who'd you have your last? Ray Bishop did my last yeah. seven or eight. So we shared yeah. him. We had him in yeah. common. Yep, Bish is, he was really good. He's a Michigan guy, so I always loved the idea of Warwick being the mask for Michigan and then the painter for Michigan there, that, the end of it. So Yeah, it's, it's me too. That's part of the reason why I ended up with Bishop is because it was the same thing, that synergy of being Michigan and also just flat out he can get them done quicker because all it takes is him running up to Gary's shop in Port Huron, flip it around and get it to me. Like this year with Philly, I got my mask in like six days. Right. Right. And you got a lot of masks and equipment. Well, with my suitcase status, I have a lot of masks and equipment. Equipment, not so much. I have most of my jerseys and pretty much all my masks. Have you kept a lot of them too? Yeah, I got all my masks. Got these uh, really cool cases I want to put them in, but I just don't ever stay in the home long enough to put them somewhere. Right. Right, For sure. Well, after that year in in Long Island, though, you ended up going to the Thrashers. Mm -hmm. What was that transition like? How did it go? Yeah, um, didn't get qualified. Uh, Nathan Lawson ended up, when I was going up and down, was playing in the American League that year. And he's a great goalie. He ran with it, had a tremendous year, and they ended up keeping him. And then um, they had a lot of the Kosinin. They had that Euro, those two Euros that got drafted. If you were over 6'5 in Euro, you were drafted by the Islanders. And then they had him for a year or two. 
and they went back to Europe and came back and signed NHL tickets. That's just how okay. it worked for all of them. That's right. right. It, and now I was kind of right there. And Laws was great. I mean, they were excited about him, obviously, you know, size and his puck playing. He was just, he was really the goalie. So I kind of got uh, the short end of that. But literally, like I mentioned earlier, was something about the Thrashers. They had seen me the year before in college. And so July 1st, I signed with them. Like, it was right away. So I didn't get qualified. And then you hear these stories from all these guys. To have that happen, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, thank goodness. And um, and I signed with Atlanta. Don Waddell uh, was the GM there. Uh, Larry Simmons, they had a lot of people. And um, that kind of believed me. But I I also transitioned from Waddell to Dudley. Dudley signed me on a two-year deal that following year. Uh, But it was awesome. I mean, I, I really liked I liked Atlanta. I mean, the, the crowds were okay, obviously, with, with what happened. You can understand that. I, I backed up a lot of games there, got in the game myself. Um, really good setup in Atlanta. Their facilities were really nice. And then their American League team was in Chicago. Which is so, a top-tier I mean, franchise. Yeah. And, and when that happened, I was like, oh, we got to get this done. And my wife was working in Schaumburg at the time. So we literally, she worked five minutes away, and the rink was five minutes away. So I, I lucked out big time with the Thrashers and the Chicago Wolves, their organization from uh, Don, their owner to uh, Wendell Young and Courtney Mahoney. I mean, they're, they're top notch. They're, they're in the elite level. And I was really thankful for my two years there. And it was unfortunate when Winnipeg bought Atlanta, cause that's what shipped me to St. John's. Cause I was really excited to kind of build off that. And when you, when you were at the Wolves, it's a really special family, you know? So, it's tough too when you sign a contract that's a couple years long and you think you're kind of laying down roots when that gets up, gets changed. I mean, it happened to me in Portland. And honestly, it happened to me in a couple other cities where I thought there was a good chance of me coming back. But because of logistics and teams moving around, I, I never ended up having that. And it's it can really throw you off when it's not what you expect to happen. Yeah, it, it's it's the game of hockey. Expect the unexpected. Exactly. I would say, right? Well, every time you think you've seen it all, you realize you haven't. <laughs> yeah. At what point well, in your career did you start messing with guys' orders on the road, though, when it comes to food? Yeah, that that uh, that started in uh, good old Andrew Campbell Soupy. Yeah, uh, you know they did it a lot in uh, in in Manchester. So I remember one of my first trips. Someone, I'm like, what are these pickles in my? I had like a, <laughs> I got like a chicken piccata or something. You know what I mean? Or grinding a three letter Lee. Uh, Three-letter league, bus trip, uh, always hungry league. They're eating, Soggy eating whatever. subs, man. You want pizzas yeah. or subs after the game? Yeah. Take your pick. Or you would say you would say cheese wheel, right? Always get your cheese wheel and all that stuff. So I remember that. But they, um, someone put pickles in my my like piccata. I'm going, well, this is not these aren't capers, you know. I'm like, so I'm looking around. <laughs> Good Italian boy, you know what it should be. Yes, yes. And I pick up on it. And I'm like, well, these guys don't know. Like, this is going to go to the next level now, you know. So because you had Bodner Chuck on that team too, who's a notorious yes. prankster. Yeah, yeah. Boz was in on all that stuff. We what get a, a great group, really, really good group, and a lot of young guys too. Uh, Lynn Vay, Tanner Pearson, uh, Voynov was there for a while. We, we had guys that just won the cup, right? So it was a lockout year, and uh, so we would get we would get intense. So you know how it is. Like you come in, you drop your bag, you set up shop. You would then go get your cup and put the money in and get your order in. Well, guys would like linger and wait till everybody was done doing their order. And I would just kind of hang out. I'd get my tape and I'd get my stick. And then I'd go back and visit and be like, oh, Soupy didn't do it yet because I had to get him back. 
I would wait for the order to actually be taken and I would grab the trainer and I would get the trainer over and say, hey, give me that sheet and I would change their order. <laughs> so one day, you would like this story, in Hershey, the order was in and I saw the sheet. You know when Hershey, uh, if you're the backup, the shoot there, I would always kind of try and sit in the shoot wherever I was off the bench because it's just so loud. Yeah, and you and can I make went, your way back into the trainer's room where yes. it's sitting. It's only like 10 feet away. That's right, and I did that. I went back there. And uh, they usually have the extra Hershey bars, right? So you're getting a little snack and a little sugar for the game. But I go back there and the sheet was sitting there and Soupy, I would assume, got me. And I'm like, that son of a bitch, I'm going to get him. So during the game, I call the restaurant and I'm like, and this is during the game. I'm like, hey, <laughs> this order's wrong. You need to take the pickles off of this. And, and then I need you to load them up on this order. <laughs> so, so during the game, he thought he had me. We get on the bus and he was so pissed. He had jalapenos all over his pizza, you know, like, like epic stuff, right? So we would go back and forth and we would have to shake hands in the middle of the room because we would be running in and pushing each other, almost wrestling in the room. Well, the best one is, is years later, I was no longer playing for uh, Manchester and uh, I, I got the rink, you know, the visiting room guy for Hershey he would come in there. He had that big goatee, that beard. Yeah, oh yeah. I got. He's his, been there I forever. Got, he's been there forever. I got his number. So we're talking a year or two later. I knew they were playing a game. I call him. I said, "Hey, I need you to pickle this guy for me." <laughs> <laughs> so he, he pickles Soupy, and oh no, wait, wait. This might have been in Portland with uh, what was the equipment manager? The guy. Um, the locker room guy, stocky kid. Danimal. Um, Danimal. Dan Danimal. This is when Danimal. we were together. I remember this. Danimal. I tell him we need to get we need to get soupy. <laughs> and he goes there and he gets Campbell. They're, they get killed. They're really pissed. And soupy, like, I, I remember, uh, so Robbie Zarnik texts me. He goes, did you get soupy? And I said, uh, I don't know why, what's going on. I guess he was yelling on the bus at all the guys who did this? And he's yelling at everybody. Little did he know it was like me remotely somewhere else in another city. <laughs> so the animal and the rink guy, like those guys were the, you know, the Syracuse guy, he's awesome. Yeah. Security guard. Um, there's some great people in the game, isn't there? Oh man. It's unbelievable. Like think about that year in Portland, how much fun we had. Do you remember <laughs> our little game trying to get the game timer clock to bounce as far as we could in the locker right. room between periods? Oh yeah. So that, that board, because this is a newer rink, right? They're figuring out the clocks and everything. So Yeah, they just renovated the Cumberland County Civic Center, which yeah. became Cross Insurance Arena in Portland, Maine. And this is where yep. this happened. Yeah. And uh, I was fortunate to play in both the old and the new setups. Uh, what a cool place. Unbelievable. Love it. Love it. Yeah. One of my absolute favorites. What's your favorite restaurant? Just to throw it out there. Oh, boy, did I ever love Eventide Oyster Company. And I know yeah. you're a street company fan. Yes. Yes. Lobster Diavolo for two. Reeser and I split that like seven or eight times. Yeah. You couldn't you couldn't beat that fresh bread with the salt and pepper and butter everywhere. It was just so good. Oh, I think they had one person dedicated to chopping garlic and back too. <laughs> yeah. So for sure. remember, remember this game though? Like we're trying to get this clock yes. to bounce as far into the yes. middle of the room as we could. <laughs> so uh, remember Razor would always come in and he would, he'd like pound the board. Ray Edwards, the head coach of the team at the time. Yep. Um, there was a little red, so it'd be like a, a little clock for people to understand, almost like a oven timer, but thinner. And you put it on the shelf, uh, on the board and 
Razor would come in. He's an emotional guy. He was hilarious. He'd come in and he'd bang the board and the clock, remember, it would just fall. Every time. Every, Without every fail. time. And, and you were playing all the games. I'm sitting there going, I'm noticing this clock falling. I'm like, okay, we got to do something funny here. So we, we, what did I start doing? I took those Air Max pads. I started to put like an obstacle course because we wanted it. We wanted to bang the board and then we had it set up where it hit one Air Max pad and it hit another. And we were trying to get it to go as far as we could to the middle of the room. And he had no clue. He would come in and he bang and it would just drop. We would just sit there. It we was all a month crap? straight. And I was putting the Gatorade towel over my head. I'm laughing <laughs> so hard. I remember the one time it fell off and it didn't hit the pad just no. right. And it yeah. bounced straight back up like <laughs> three feet, almost hits him in his shin. Bounces again and then goes into the middle of the room. I, I think I had to walk out of the out of the locker room <laughs> that time. Oh guys, man, guys we had snickered. we had so much fun though that year. Like I, I look back and like you said, I was playing all the time. Well, and I was playing really well, but I know it's because yeah. we were having so much fun. Like I was yeah. so carefree because you're. Yeah. I mean, I just think about it. Like the moment you gave Greg Carey the Scarecrow in Norfolk the one time. Because he plunked <laughs> you like five games, five, five practices in a row in the shoulders. And you told us before the morning skate, watch this, boys. I'm going to give him the scarecrow. <laughs> and he comes tearing down the middle of the ice. And sure enough, you stand straight up and down and don't move a muscle. And yep. he absolutely buries it in your glove. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even look. <laughs> no. You guys were laughing. Uh, what was uh, All the staff was watching. I did that every single shot. And he just... He ended up, what a career, what a hell of a player, good kid and everything. But I just was like, this kid's driving me nuts. Everything was high. You knew it. It was like, I'm not giving him any taggers. So it was just straight scarecrow, the whole whole skate, whole skate. He was a rookie, right? He was a rookie. He was. You were teaching him. You were putting him in his yeah. place a little yeah. bit too. Well, we <laughs> that was, the, both, same, that we, was we, the same skate, Kenny. You would appreciate Biz Nasty came down and he, you know, how many guys were out there. And he takes, I always tell this story because it's, it's the funny part of Biz when he says stuff like this. He came down and he, you know, the skill sessions were like, you know, pivot, pivot, come down, take a shot, kind of boring and the goalie's got to be in there. He rings one off the crossbar. It's this like weird shot. And he looks at me, he skates by. And this is the first time I'm feeling this person out, this character that everybody talks about. And he looks at me and he goes, NHL shot. And he skates away as hard as he can to the, to the, to the thing. And I'm like, I'm like, Going like laughing, but being like, "What did he just say to me?" And it was like, you know what I mean. So I, I had fun with him later on uh, with that phrase. But it was like Biz being him, you know what I mean. So anyway, what were your impressions of the rookie party you set up for us in Boston? So this will this will be funny. I, I don't know if it'll get back to him or whatever, but and you you know you'll agree with me. It was, it was probably the worst rookie party like ever put on ever. <laughs> it was so bad. I mean. We felt so bad for the rookies. Like it, it was just, just from the beginning. Yeah, we had a great time. We got on the train. We went from Portland to Boston. And I remember sharing the Boda box with a you. A casual box of wine on the way down. Just, just a casual, just a casual drink. And uh, and Lee was there. Mike Lee's a great guy. We were hanging out, and uh, so we go down to Boston. And you're thinking like, what a great rookie party this is going to be. We have the ability to do this. You think Boston seafood, you think Italian food, like we could have done anything big time. And Biz set all of it up, didn't he? Oh, all those connections. The, yeah, the I'm going to call my buddy and make it happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Biz, Biz Nasty is the connections. And uh, we went in and uh, we went to some Asian fusion restaurant that was like really average. And 
and he's we get the bill and was it how much was it for bottled water 450 500 bucks for 500 water. bucks just for water and, and an 800 service charge from some guy that we never saw in the room ne- never saw we had average service and I remember guys were going we paid this for bottled bottled water and biz yells out we don't drink tap water and everybody's <laughs> everybody's going yeah we do this is the american league biz. like we were like what you're are back you doing? in the iron league brother <laughs> yeah it and then from there we had that weird hiatus like an hour and i think he went to like the w or somewhere and then everybody's trying to find this club and we go to the club and he shows up like an hour and change late and it was brutal like the do you remember the club? Like there was no oh, yeah, really. It was, yeah. it was pretty weird too. It was it was a weird vibe. We'll leave it at that. You know, things were kind of awkward, and I think guys ended up leaving like an hour later, and it was like everybody was back in the hotel or at different bars. So like the rookie party, you had Asian Fusion, five hundred dollars bottled water, a weird club, and then we were done, and that was it. So thanks to Biz, I I liked him. He was nice, but tough rookie party. Man. <laughs> Party. You probably, you must have had a good one somewhere in your career, though, I'd imagine. Yeah, you know, uh, pretty good one we had that always stuck with me was uh, Bridgeport. We had uh, Mark Mark Watt. Remember, uh, remember uh, Watts? I used to scream at him from the bench to stop killing trees. He was the last guy <laughs> using wooden sticks. Yes, yes. And he, good, really good guy. Great. The guy had some unbelievable captains. Him, and then we talked about Tom Kasopoulos, but... Was Watson Watt, was Watt the guy though that had to bring the harvest in before he'd come to training camp yes. every year? Yep. Yeah. What? I, and I don't say this in a mean way. Is that I remember being in our first meeting in Bridgeport and Cap Cappy was talking to our head coach Jack Capuano. And, yeah. Yep. Yep. And we're sitting there and we had Pat Bingham too, and we're sitting there and I remember looking at this guy and he had glasses on and flannel shirt and he had like that, that curly hair and I, I I whispered over to Jack Hillen who was my buddy from junior hockey. I said is this another coach over here? And he's like, no, that's our captain. That's Watts. I'm like, oh my God, what? This guy's so, a relic. <laughs> yes. And he used the wood sticks and he, and he just, what a great guy though. Like he was really kind of quieter, but when he'd say stuff, you know, he was just a older presence he needed right in, in the American league. So, uh, we, we went to the casino, um, Mohegan Sun casino and, um, we had a great meal. We had, right there in the casino. We did all the, all the fun games you do where we did, uh, um, you know, the, the acts and all the different rookies had to do. So we were doing all our different impersonations of all the, all the, um, the vets and we were pissing them all off. And I remember, I remember we had Michael, we had a bunch of meat on that team. Haley, always Haley. He, Every he, team he almost, in Bridgeport had at least three or four mutants on it. Yeah. And they, he was like going after Lawson cause Lawson did an impersonation of him and he was trying to kill him. Like he was chasing them all around the casino and so, so we did all that and it was really cool. We get, we had a great dinner and then guys were just doing some gambling. And I remember we get back on the bus like late night and, uh, and, uh, was it Frazier? Uh, he was in the back of the bus, Jamie Frazier, and he was crying cause he had lost like four or $500. And again, he's calling his like girlfriend who turned into his wife. And it was like one of those nights tough to gamble on a rookie party cause things could go bad. But it was a, it was a good setup because everything was there. We had a great meal, great time with the guys, just kind of bickering, and it was good. It was a good trip. So. I think the meal is a really important aspect to it. I think the best one I had was in Texas with Peoria, and it was partly because we had such a fun meal. We had Scott Ford as a captain who kept everybody in check, yeah. and just a fun place to do it. Right. I, I'm looking back at your career though, and and you really started to bounce around a lot after that. And there's one 
instance I can think of that kind of define that. And it's a pretty amazing story, really, though, when you spent a year in Wilkes-Barre, went really deep in playoffs, carried the team, but there was a little bit of turmoil in the season before that happened. Yeah. You know, what went down there before you guys got deep into the playoff run? Well, so that uh, year before, like we talked about, I was in Manchester, I uh, had a really fluky bad injury in practice uh, extended my leg there was a shot from the point it got tipped by Anthony Stewart real tight about two feet in front of me and it got deflected real quick kind of hit a stick and, and I, I went full extension with, with my right leg and uh, the puck hit right on my uh, my muscle fibers and everything right in like my leg thigh groin area and it it just popped a hole literally just shredded my groin muscle so I never felt that pain in my life. I felt like burning sensation. I dropped. I was done for the year. Like they shut me down. I did two PRP injections. I went all the way through the summer. I couldn't get this thing to settle down. It was really, really a fluky injury. Like groin injuries are groin injuries by like tension, but this was tension and then an impact. You know what I mean? And my muscle fibers were completely, they just got ripped right through. So did the PRP and then I shut it down for like three plus months and it was scary. You know, I didn't realize at the time because I, I went 12, 14 weeks of rehab in Manchester. So to answer your question is I went that summer. So that was the lockout year. That summer, Don Waddell was a part of Pittsburgh and they called. And uh, uh, Jason Botterell was the general manager. And he said, you know, they, they had talked to my agent and everything. And they're like, we want to sign you. It was a one-way American League deal. Uh, they're big fans, blah, blah, blah. Don Waddell speaks highly of you. And I'm like, well, that's great. This is the guy who signed me to my second NHL contract. And you know how it is. You have you have those relationships. You feel like this could be a good fit. Yeah, you so, feel comfortable with them. You know they're in your corner. Right. You've had that working right. relationship before. Yep. And Don was really nice. I remember call-ups back in Atlanta. He would be in the locker room and say hello. He had Michigan ties. So here I am. I'm like, well. Jeez, Wilkes-Barre is an incredible place. It's Pittsburgh. They had said that they were figuring out their goalie situation. And, um, you know, Zats was on one way, so they're trying to maneuver that. And uh, I was excited. Like, they came hard, and I was like, I get a good one-way contract. I, I want to try this organization out. I knew John Hines, the head coach from uh, past interactions with people I know. So I went in, and uh, I was at training camp. I'm sorry. Uh, just a week before training camp, I was at Ohio State's pro camp in Columbus, uh, skating with Joe Exter. And uh, day three, we did a goalie session, practice, goalie session, practice. Day three goalie session, 10 minutes in, just pop. And I felt my groin get kind of torn again, and it bruised all the way down. So I had a call, Wilkes-Barre, and I was about a week or two before camp. And they had me go to Pittsburgh right away and get an MRI, and it, it ripped it again. Not as bad, but it ripped it. So I had a I went to Wilkes-Barre basically injured because of this re-injury that happened when I was training. And it was so strong, but then it, it was a setback. But it, it was scar tissue. As you know, that stuff happens. So I started off tough. They ended up um, signing uh, Jeff Delore on a PTO because I was hurt. Member of Okun had the, uh, the clot. clots. Right. Yep. So that this is so weird how the time happens, right? Clot, Zats goes up. I'm like, if I was healthy, like, here you go, right? Great opportunity. Um, so long story short, they, Delore and myself, and then we had uh, Hartsey, this young kid out of Quinnipiac, great kid, um, had a hell of a college career. They signed him. 
So I'm behind the eight ball, and I try to get back. I worked to get healthy the first game of the season, and then we went a month and a half, and I had started like one game. And I'm like, I'm sitting there going, I just worked extremely hard to get healthy. And, and to, to the other side of it is Jeff was hot. Like we were winning games, but I'm sitting there like, well, you can mix me in. I won my first start, you know, or whatever it was. And I'm trying to figure out how I could get in. And I was frustrated, you know, because an injury like that, my first season ending injury, and then to not have an opportunity to compete to get in there after being the guy they signed in the summer versus a PTO was very frustrating. So long story short, we get to about a month and a half, two months in, and they're like, we're going to do a switch. We're going to send you down to the wheeling, and we're going to bring Hartzell up. And it was just a point, you know how it is, you get to the point in your career and you're like, I'm struggling to find that like home. I want to play. I got health again. And I, I wanted to, I wanted to just like, basically, I was like done with all that up and down, all the movement stuff, even from year one. And I told them, I was like, why you didn't give me an opportunity? I kind of had a conversation and they were like, well, it is what it is. And I sat down with John Hines at the time. And he's probably one of the best coaches. He is one of the best coaches I've ever had. And I just told him that I said, Hines, it's just a point in time here where you got to just say like, no, like I, I want to play hockey if that's here or whatever it is. And he's like, careful what you do. And he was just like, make sure you think this through. And uh, my agent, Elaine Waugh, <laughs> was uh, prepared for an interesting uh, situation. Because I think Parisi did something similar a little bit before. But anyway, I I, uh, I just said, no, like, I'm not going to go down. And, um, like, I'd like to get released because I want to go over to, to Europe. And so Al told that to them, and they got really mad. So they basically suspended me. They wanted all their gear back, and I was just like, wow, like, this got really heated quickly. Like, I was literally just saying, like, listen, you got a guy in a PTO, you got Hartsey, like, you're good. Like, I, I specifically said, like, tell him I just need to go overseas or somewhere and just start playing hockey because I had this injury, and the year before I was all over the place with Winnipeg's new management. I just was getting kind of burned out, essentially, that's that word, right? So they, they were really mad. And I, I just at that point, I was like, well, if you're going to be pissed, then then I'll be pissed. So I went home and I think I sat around for about a month and a half into Christmas. Two, I got in two games to my name at Christmas. Okay. And I'm like, oh boy, this is the end here. Like I was getting nervous, <laughs> yeah. man, you know? So I'm talking to Botterell and he was good. Like we had conversations So He was mad obviously because, you know, you, you got to listen. They thought that you should listen to the organization or whatever it was. And so I sat at home, I was playing men's league, I was playing forward. Al would call me, I'd, I'd go, I'd just walk back, get on the phone, I'd go back out, skate, and like, you're talking men's league, you know, I'm trying to stay sharp. And uh, so I'm playing men's league, and, and then I finally come to terms where he's like, you got to report the wheeling, and then I'll open up the idea of trading you. And I'm like, all right, Botsy, let's timeline it so that we don't, you know, screw over wheeling. Because you got two goalies there, you had Mike Condon. Right. You know, and you had a Kieran Milan, a, a Colorado Avalanche uh, product. He was on an NHL contract. And I'm just going, well, you're going to bring me in the mix, this American League deal. Like, I'm on an American League deal. You had two NHL contracts. It's Condon Montreal. And I'm going, don't put me there. So he was like, no, open time frame. I said, fine. So I go to Wheeling because I need to get 
moved at this point or at least released to go to Europe. So I'm sitting there and, uh, and I play a game and I win and then Clarky played me the next night I'd lose. And then I'd sit for two, three weeks, you know, and it was just like a, it was like a weird situation that turned into like a month and a half, just a handful of games to try and get me a trade. Eventually Botsy came in, he'd meet with me after a wheeling game and he'd be like, well, I've opened up the idea of, you know, trading you in conference. And I'm like, in conference? Like, this is American League deal. Like, what, I'm not Mark Andre Fleury here, man, you know? And, but that's that's why he's where he is. You know, he took everything real serious, and he was very uh, detailed and diligent with his contracts. So, you know, uh, you know the ending to it is uh, Hartsey started to struggle. Delore never kept a 900 save percentage that year. He was kind of up and down but winning games. And sure enough, they come calling. And I, I remember looking at Clark, and was this a joke? I've just been suspended for like two months, put in wheeling for months. I've only played six, seven games on the year, and now they're going to call me up. Living in cottages and wheeling. Yeah. That was a whole nother story. <laughs> this is a whole nother story. I mean, the, the boys are great. Like it was, you had deer literally walking into cottages. I mean, we did a, <laughs> <laughs> we did a lot of stuff. I made the boys uh, take the mattresses out of the cottages, and we were going mattress sliding down these hills on this golf course. Like we, we made a, a good time out of it. Miles Harvey, there's a, there's a couple guys in uh, Condi Bear. We had fun. A lot of, a lot of uh, wood fire wine talks. It wasn't Boda <laughs> Box, Kenny, but we had Condi and I had a lot of wine. Uh, just talks about life. <laughs> yeah. So they call. And I'm like, what is this? You know, and trade deadline is coming. So I go up and uh, I back up the first game. I go in and then really to sum it up, it was a little, it was a little back and forth because, you know, uh, Brad traveling there, the general manager of Calgary, he traded for me uh, years prior. He was Portland's. With uh, Arizona. Yep. Yep. Arizona had always, they wanted to trade for me the year after. He'd always been around even to Binghamton. And I appreciate that out of Brad. If I could say thank you, it was that. We only connected the one time, but I wish it was later. But anyway, he said uh, he went to uh, Botsy and tried to trade. And, and then I started playing. And I played a game. We won. I won. I won. And I went on a run. Yeah, you and, were on an absolute heater. One five six nine three two eleven four and one <laughs> Yeah. And you know, got goalie of the month in the American League, which is really hard to do. You know, like it's – it's an incredible league. And like, I got that honor. I was like, wow, like our team was awesome. We had great players. I mean, it's Tom Kostopoulos was our captain. And you, as a goalie, you have to have everything kind of click and it did. And it was right timing. Heinze, incredible coach, Nazi or uh, Elaine Nazareth, our assistant's awesome. Everything clicked and we ran. We ran all the way to the conference finals and Botsy would come in and I'd shake his hand after games. You know, he said, you're sticking for the rest of the year. And I say it this way is I always wanted to prove him right because he was the one that signed me, you know, and it was a little back and forth if it was my fault uh, to some degree. But I also had the right to say, this is it. Like, I, I didn't want to do that anymore. And I had thought I had better opportunity by signing with them a one way contract and they went and got a PTO. So I had my reasons. They had theirs. In the end, we made a, an unbelievable run. We lost in game six of the conference finals. And we won a couple game sevens. It was awesome. It was the best pro run I had. We were so close to going to the finals. Um, I'll cherish that memory. 
in such an amazing year. And I don't even know how many games I ended up playing after only having two games at Christmas. I mean, I, I thought that was a feat in itself, just from a fortitude standpoint. It was like battling through, sticking to your guns, being confident, and respecting people like I did. And today, I see Botsy from the coaching side of things. I say hi to him, and I, I, I'm thankful that he gave me that opportunity. So, I mean, is there any greater feeling in sports than winning a game seven as a goaltender? No, I don't think so. Just because everybody has to just go to war. The, the intensity, the speed, the sacrifice, the block shots, I mean, the saves that are so crucial can can change a game. I, I had a Milwaukee game seven in Chicago, um, was a part of one with Texas. I mean, they're incredible. They're unbelievable. It's my favorite moments. I mean, you just can't replicate that in anything else in life, having everything on the line, everybody watching. Yeah. It's great stuff. Yeah, and, the, and the feeling after. It's oh, just, man. Because you're so gassed. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> you're, ca- you're gassed, but you're just so content and happy with what you've just accomplished, and you're looking forward to the next round. Yeah. Yeah. And to look around the room to see the guys, it, it's just the closest thing to being a part of, you know, that, that group, that army that, you know, you go to that battle and you leave and you're like, we just, we just got that, we just got the win. Like it was, it was an incredible, could have went either way, right? Game yeah. seven. And, um, they're, they're special things to be a part of, for sure. Man, well, this has been a blast. I'm so happy we could reconnect and tell some stories. We both have plenty of them because we're firmly <laughs> in the relic status at this point. So <laughs> yeah. I wish you best of luck as a coach and uh, have fun in Des Moines. And thanks again for joining me today. And I'll see you down the road. I'm sure it always happens. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you, know, you having me on. Thanks for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. Please make sure that you like, comment, leave a rating, subscribe, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.